missions is not uh, is not always easy on your family, and ministry is not always easy on your family, and sometimes we uh, we think that that it is, and and I it just ask Logue on behalf of our family to come and share a little bit with you, and we do appreciate very much uh, your generosity and your love to us. Uh, we have been actually in the states since uh, May the 29th. We came in. Um, from Ecuador, about every two years, we spend a summer back um, having a chance to share and be in, in different places. We've been in Toronto, Canada, and been in Ohio, and then came out to the West Coast, and have been in Southern California, and then now I'm um, actually up here in Northern California. And we head back to Ecuador next Sunday, actually next Sunday night, late. We'll fly back and continue uh, living and working in Quito is where we're at. Um, so thanks very much for uh, your love and generosity I know we have uh, joked over the, the months and years about you guys uh, being the donut church, but uh, you are, are so much more than that to us. And, and as we talk with our kids and our family, um, you guys are an amazing uh, representation of Jesus' love and what the church looks like. And they have uh, shared that, boy, if they, you know, we ever came back, um, if they came back, this would be the kind of church that they would want to go to. So that says a lot about you, and I sure appreciate that, that you are a testimony not only in this community and to many, many people that are hearing about Christ, but you are you're a, a testimony to us, an encouragement to us. So thanks for the very, very tangible gifts, um, the love and the support and uh, the finances that you share with us that allow us to, to be able to share um, in what we're doing. But thanks very much for your hearts, too, and your lives, that you cared enough to love us and appreciate that. We do have a new prayer card, um, as always. Um, if we could live on your fridge, that would be great. We will not eat much. Um, but the the uh, last prayer card that, that you have is probably outdated. Um, I know my wife and I don't look any different than we ever have. That's not really funny. Um, that was not meant to be funny. So, exactly. And Dean, I, I think you fell on your head, man, not your arm. But um, you're... you're you're working us over pretty good there. But my kids, my kids are getting older. So if you want to pick up a new prayer card, um, I know we have a stack here and we'll be available in the back. We'll be hanging out and we'd love to give you a new one. It's a little different shape, so a little different design and won't take up as much space on your fridge or, or whatever. So if you'd like that, we love it. And our information's on the back. Um, we are living and working in Quito working among uh, students, working in the area of youth ministry, teaching and training, working with students, doing hands-on youth ministry and teaching others to do the same. And our information is on the back. Email, all that good stuff. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know um, how we can be in prayer for you, too. I think sometimes we think about, boy, you know, missionaries come in or pastors come in, and um, it's all about them. We, we want to say loud and clear, it is not about us. Um, it is about the Lord. And I know that there is... As key, crucial, if not more, um, kingdom important things that go on in this church and this community. And so we do get a good update from mom and dad on a regular basis. But we'd love to hear from you too. If there's something going on in your lives or your church or your family, um, we'd love to hear that. And our emails on the back and we do actually write back. So let me, uh, let me pray. We, uh, we are headed this morning towards Acts chapter 9. That's where I'm going to share a little bit out of uh, a familiar story to us about Saul slash Paul. And, and we will be sharing a little bit, I'll be sharing a little bit this morning about encounters with God. How, how do we have encounters with God that are meaningful and purposeful? Um, tomorrow night, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, maturity 
You know, we, we have the expectation of our children that they will mature. You know, when they're small, they're cute, they sit in a high chair, they throw their food all around, and, you know, we clean up after them. But as they grow, we have that expectation that by the time they're 17, they're not still doing that, right? And, and you know, by the time as adults, if we all went to a restaurant this afternoon and acted like that, people would say, what's the matter with you? We have a, a, an expectation of maturity. And I think God has that same expectation of us. And so we'll be talking a little bit about that tomorrow night and then on Tuesday night. Um, I'll be sharing a little bit about one of the, the keys, one of the secrets, I think, that are, are one of the foundational secrets and keys of walking with the Lord. And yet one of those keys, secrets that are, are overlooked by so many, many, many people. And, and I'll be sharing a little bit about that on Tuesday night. So if you get a chance to come out tomorrow night and Tuesday night, um, we'll be hanging out too. But this morning, I want to share a little bit about encounters with God and, and what, what does it mean for us to have a meaningful encounter with God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this body of believers. Thank you that you are here. Lord, that is so evident. It is so evident that you are here working in their midst. Lord, thank you that your spirit is here as well. Lord, we just invite him this morning. Speak to our hearts. Lord, there's things we understand about your spirit and a lot of things we don't understand. But we read in scripture that His job is to convict us, to teach us, to guide us, especially in regards to your word. And so this morning, as we take a look at your word, I just pray far beyond what I would say that your spirit, not in a weird way, Lord, just in a real practical way, your spirit would teach us, challenge us. I pray that the truth of your word would would find good soil in our hearts and far beyond the next 25 minutes or so, that your word would grow, would reproduce. Lord, thank you that you are a God that desires for us to know you. And so I pray that that would continue to happen this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I think there's a lot of people looking for a lot of things. Uh, Maybe one of those shows on TV that we see, The Amazing Race. Never seen that. My brother and I have actually joked about it'd be fun to go on that. A little, little reality TV. I don't know. You could take six weeks off of whatever you're doing and travel the world and look for stuff. That sounds like a good time to me. Sounds like a great time. But you know, in that, if you've seen that show or maybe you haven't, they, they take a, a, a number of people and they give them clues. And in those clues, they, they maybe need to take a car or a, a train or a plane or they need to go find some something somewhere. They're, they're looking for different clues and, and they're racing against each other. But boy, maybe more so than a lot of other shows that are on TV now, that typifies an awful lot sometimes what I think our, our culture, our lives, our, our world today. They are looking for things, aren't they? They are looking for something. Sometimes they can articulate that and say, you know what, I'm looking for money. And, and I'm going to do all that I can do to, to, to get involved with that. And, and I want to build up my finances. Not necessarily a good or bad thing. I'm, I'm looking for prestige or I'm looking for a relationship or I'm looking for whatever. Sometimes they can articulate it. Sometimes people can articulate what they're looking for. They just know in their own hearts and lives that, you know what, I'm looking for something and I haven't found it yet. And, and I'm left with that emptiness. Sometimes maybe in the, in the, the searching you found some of those other things. Maybe, you know, finances have come your way. And you go, well, I've got a lot of this. But it's still just, you know, it's amazing to me how many times we think that will be the answer. Until we hear those 
people share over and over and over again, you know what, I have everything that this world could offer me and I still feel kind of empty. It's not there. And I'm convinced, as I know many of you are convinced, that until we encounter God in a meaningful way, in a meaningful relationship through Jesus, that that hole's still going to be there. And we're going to find lots of different ways to fill it. And, and, and sometimes we can understand that hole and sometimes we can't. But I think until we have a meaningful encounter with God through Jesus Christ, that all those other things really pale. They, they lack significance in our lives. Acts chapter 9 is a, a passage I want to share with you this morning, a familiar story I know. And, and I just want to share three things with you this morning that I think are key, three key things, if you and I are going to not just encounter God in a one-time salvation basis. Because I know that a lot of you here this morning would say, yeah, I know Jesus is my Savior. But are we still encountering God on a regular basis? Are we still walking with Him on a regular basis? I love the passage early in Genesis about Abraham. When he was 99 years old, God appeared before him again and said, walk before me and be blameless. First time God called Abraham, he was 75. And now, 24 years down the road, God continues to call. I think God wants to continue to call you and continue to call me. He wants us to continue to encounter him on a regular basis. Acts chapter 9, let's read it. Make a couple of observations out of here. The, the, Acts chapter 9 is about a, a guy by the name of Saul. If you're familiar with your Bible, you know that. You know that up until this point in, in Acts chapter 9, Saul, really his job full time was to make life miserable for Christians. We go back a few chapters before this and we see that, that Saul really was a bounty hunter in a sense. He, he did it under a righteous banner. He did it under a, a banner that he thought he was really purifying what he considered to be religion. And we see that this guy, Saul, was a passionate, intense guy out to make life miserable for anybody who knew or walked with Jesus. And now in Acts chapter 9, Saul's about to encounter God himself in a way that he never has. And I think we can learn a lot from his encounter. Take a look at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He, Saul, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. 
I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, verse 18, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. What an amazing encounter for Saul. Going down a road a certain direction, saying, you know what? I think I know what it means to encounter God. I think I know what it means to have meaning in this life. He was educated. He was probably wealthy. He was probably had a great reputation. Certainly there were people that feared him. A lot of power. And he's headed down a road saying, you know what? My job is to persecute these people who are getting off. And following this person named Jesus. And right in the middle of that, Saul encounters God in a way that radically changes his life. You know, I'm glad that there's nobody, nobody on this planet too far away from God. You know what, if if we were to pick somebody out and say, you know what, who who would be going absolutely opposite from, from what it looks like to us to be a Christian, we can picture those people in our mind. It's those people we go to school with, those people we work with, people in our neighborhood. And we think to ourselves, oh, you know what, they will never come to Christ. I think Saul would have been one of those people. In his neighborhood, in his job, his friendships, maybe even his family would have said, you know what, there will be a lot of people come to Christ before Saul does. But sometimes the problem is ours, isn't it? Our God is just too small. Our faith is just too small. Who is it maybe in your life that you need to boldly pray for and say, you know what, God, though that person, that, that, that guy at my high school, that, that, that guy, that girl, that you know what, has that reputation, they need to come to Christ. You know, God's big enough to do that. That salesman or saleswoman or manager or person that you work with, you say, you know what, man, they, man their, their life, they're just, that's the person you need to be praying for and thinking about, dreaming about. That's the kind of person Saul was. I see three things in his life that I think have got to be in our lives as well. If you and I desire to encounter God, whether you sit here today and say, you know what, I'm not really sure about God, or whether you sit in your chair and say, you know what, I've been a Christian a long time, I think these three things apply to each one of our lives. First one is this. I think that if you and I are going to encounter God, it's going to take some honest, real, true questions on our part. I think you and I are going to have to commit our hearts to ask real, honest, true questions of God. Look at the question that Saul asks. Right here, he's traveling on his way in verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Right here, God stops him in his tracks. We don't know if this was, you know, the, the world's biggest flashbulb. You know, if it was lightning. We don't know. We just know it was a bright light, enough that it, it knocks Saul down. And he's on the road. And he's powerless. And all of a sudden, a voice from heaven says to him, Hey, who, who do you think you are? What, what are you doing? Where, where do you think you're going? 
Saul, Saul, why, why are you trying to persecute me? And then Saul asks a great question. A question that I think you and I have got to commit our hearts to asking. Because at this point, he's got a lot of choices. He could complain. He could be bitter. He could lay on the ground and blame somebody else. But instead, he asks a great question. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? It's a question that shows the honesty of his heart. See, I I don't think he was all that far off. I think he did a lot of injustice in God's name, but his heart was committed to finding out about God. And I think the people that you and I bump into, and I think everybody in this room has that same thing going on in your heart, we really want to know about God. Oh, we may mask it in a lot of different ways. We may make it look like lots of things. We may even say out loud with our mouth, I want nothing to do with God, but God has created us in such a way that we were created to be in fellowship with God, whether we know it or not. And so Saul asks an honest question. That honest question led to his encounter with God that changed his life. You know, sometimes, especially maybe even as Christians, we're not very good at asking honest questions. Sometimes we're afraid to ask honest questions. Sometimes when we want to ask them, the people around us, maybe they're not comfortable with you asking an honest question. We have to allow room for each other. In God's church, to be able to ask honest questions. You see, the answer to his question is, I am Jesus. Isn't that the answer to every question we could ever ask? It's fellowship and relationship with God. Saul's question here was, who who is that voice? And the answer was, I am Jesus. Did that solve everything in his life? No, it didn't. It actually created some more problems. But it led to transformation. But it started with an honest question. Sometimes you and I need to be able to ask honest questions. Like, what what is life really about? What is really the point? Honest questions like, you know what, is, is this really all there is? I've experienced all this stuff, and is this really all there is? Honest questions like, why why aren't I happier with my life? Honest questions like, if God is so great, why is my life so messed up? Why have I battled with divorce or disease or maybe even death in my family? God, if things are so great, then what, why, why am I battling with this stuff? Why does it happen? Several weeks ago in Southern California, we had the opportunity to be available for some friends of ours who were deeply hurting. Actually, a young man that took over from me as youth pastor at our church in Lake Arrowhead. Incredible guy. And his wife served as church secretary. About three weeks ago on a Monday morning, Ron, the guy who took over for me, and Cynthia, his mom, experienced the death 
of Bob, Cynthia's husband, and Ron's dad. 48 years old. Fell over from a heart attack. Amazing guy. Amazing dad. Amazing husband. Amazing lover of Jesus. Impacting the kingdom. Massive heart attack. It's in moments like that. And in the weeks and the years to come that we have to be able to ask honest questions. One of the days I was sitting with Ron and, and he we were praying together. And he was praying and, and, and in the honesty of his heart, he said, Lord, I, I don't I don't really doubt you. I just don't like your style on this one. And you know what? I my heart was heavy and tears came to my eyes. Because here's a young man aching. And yet I love the honesty of his heart. I love that, that he had the freedom in his own life to ask honest questions. Sometimes honest questions for us as Christians saying, Lord, I'm, I'm reading your word, but I, I'm not getting much out of it. How come? Lord, I'm praying, but I, I just feel like my prayers never leave the room. Honest, honest questions lead to the kind of encounters with God that Saul had. You know, we don't have to go far in our Bibles. We thumb back to the Psalms and we see a guy by the name of David. Boy, he asked a lot of honest questions. David was a lot of things, but, but he was honest. How are you doing at being honest with God, with the people around you? How are you doing at allowing the people around you to be honest? Sometimes we don't make a lot of room for that. People ask questions and it expresses some doubt or some fear or some confusion. And, and, and sometimes as Christians, we want to wrap everything up in a nice, neat little box. God doesn't fit in a nice, neat little box. And the Christian life is not nice and neat sometimes. Sometimes it's messy. And it's uncomfortable. And we don't have all the answers. But when we allow room to be honest, and we love people where they're at, and God loves us where we're at, it leads to those encounters with God that we want. I love the story back in 2 Chronicles, and I'm not going to ask you to turn there. I'm just going to share it with you real quick. 2 Chronicles 30, Hezekiah takes over as the king. And it's in one of those periods of time where the children of Israel have been kind of walking away from God. You know the story. They're up and down. They're up and down. And Hezekiah takes over and he's encouraging the people to come back. And some of them start to come back and some of them aren't. And they're doing some things wrong. And listen to Hezekiah's prayer in Second Chronicles 30. Although most of the many people who came from the different areas, had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord, who is good, pardon everyone who sets his heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of the fathers, even if he is not clean according to all the rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. Did you hear his prayer? God, here's your people. 
And they're coming back. And, 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 they, and they don't have all the rules down. They're not clean like they're supposed to be. Heal them anyway. And God says, you know, those whose hearts are seeking me. I love those people. You know what? I want, I want to challenge you this morning to be honest. The most important thing God says is that our hearts are seeking Him. That's who Saul was. He was a God seeker. Did he have it all right? Absolutely not. But that honest question led to an incredible encounter that changed his life. Those encounters for us have got to come from honesty. Honest questions. How are you doing at asking them? How are you doing at allowing them around you? Don't be afraid of somebody's question. Don't be afraid of somebody's doubt. Don't be afraid of somebody's fear. God's big enough to handle that. Even if it looks different than yours. God's huge. He's huge. Allow honest questions. Number two, encounters with God sometimes come from darkness. Encounters with God sometimes come from darkness. Look what happened to Saul. The men traveling in verse 7 stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind. And he didn't eat anything, and he didn't drink anything. It's so easy for us to read a verse like this and go, ah, three days is not that big a thing. But what if it was you? What if you were struck blind in an encounter with God and you didn't know the end of the story? You, you, I don't think Saul just nonchalantly said, oh, well, three days, I'll be okay. No, he's blind. He's in darkness. And that darkness was uncomfortable. And that darkness was frightening. And here, big, bad Saul had to be led by the hand into the next town because he was helpless. Watch out for that rock. Paul tripped over it. There's a stick there. Oh, he ran into something. You know, God uses darkness. He uses it sometimes to give us perspective. Isn't that what he did with Jonah? Jonah, I want you to go and preach. I'm not going to preach. I want you to go to those people. I'm not going to those people. Jonah, guess what? We're going to give you some whale time. And Jonah spent some whale time. And you think Jonah got to that point where he's looking around and, it, you know, it smells? He's hanging out with, you know, yesterday's lunch. And he's thinking, okay, I'll preach. I'll do it. Perspective. Sometimes God uses darkness to get our attention. You think he got Jonah's attention? And wouldn't it get your attention? You're just cruising down 580 tomorrow morning. Boom, you're in a whale. I don't know how that would happen, but <laughs> you just think about it. Well, wouldn't that get your attention? You bet. Sometimes it's perspective. Sometimes it's getting your attention. Sometimes it's to slow you down and prepare you for something else. Think about the story of Joseph. And we love to talk about Joseph. You know, he went to the top of Pharaoh's court. He did incredible things. 
Don't forget about the time that he spent in prison. Now you turn to Genesis 41 and you see two years later, the king had forgotten. Pharaoh had forgotten about Joseph. Two years. That's some dark time. What about the disciples in Mark chapter 4? Storm kicks up and Jesus is asleep. And Mark chapter 4 says that the waves are, are curling over the boat and they're slamming stuff around. They wake Jesus up and they say, why are you sleeping? Don't you know we're about to die? Why well, sometimes I feel that way. Lord, where, where are you? Don't you see things are getting a little rough here? But in Saul's encounter, God used the darkness. God used his helplessness. God used his defeat. God used humility to give Saul perspective, to get his attention, to slow him down, to change his heart. Well, I, I'm, I'm willing to bet Saul spent some time sitting in the dark thinking, well, what's, what's my life really been about so far? And what was that voice about? And, and, and you know, I heard this voice ask me and, and tell me to get up and go to the city. But we're not very good at slowing down sometimes. We're, we're not very good at accepting the darkness sometimes. Because somehow in Christianity and in our churches, we've bought into the lie that, that activity equals success. That, man, if I can be running like that hamster on the wheel, I'm successful. Look at me. Man, I can set up those chairs and fold those bulletins and lead the choir and preach and paint the walls and turn out the lights. And, man, I'm, I'm really getting it done. And sometimes God needs to send a little darkness our way to slow us down. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I'm God. When's the last time you were still? Absolutely still. No phone, no TV, no radio, no internet. Still. To know that He is God. Because I think sometimes in the midst of all of our activity, God says, you know what? If that's what you want to do, I'll let you do that. But that's not me. That's not where I'm at. Oh, God can be in the midst of activity for sure. We know that. But it's a deep encounter that connects our heart with God's heart. It comes from those being still moments. Are you in the darkness? Is there something going on in your life that you say, you know what, God, I don't, I don't get this. I don't understand it. Maybe it's financial darkness. Maybe it's family darkness. Maybe it's health or friends. Maybe it's a darkness that you just feel like you're groping around in the dark and you're saying, you know what, I don't get it. You know what, God is in the light, but God is in the darkness too. And I challenge you to be still. 
Sometimes we try to activity our way out of the darkness. We just go find something else to do. And God's maybe saying, shh, sit still. Practice stillness on a regular basis. Let me be the one, God speaking, who gives you perspective. Let God be the one who changes your thoughts, gets your attention, slows you down. Brings you back to the heart of that relationship, not just serving God, but knowing God. We're so much better at serving Him than knowing Him. God uses honest questions. God uses darkness. And the third thing in his story is that God uses people. People like Ananias to give us those encounters. We don't know much about Ananias. Pretty pretty common name. This is the only time this Ananias shows up. Other than later on, a few chapters later, when, when Paul... Formerly Saul's recounting the story. He talks about Ananias again. But we don't know much about him. But what we have in these verses tells us a lot. God uses people like Ananias in verse 10. Here's what we know. We know that he loved Jesus. Look how he's described. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. We know that he loved Jesus. We know that he was sensitive to God. The Lord called him in a vision. And Ananias heard him. So we know that he was sensitive. God uses sensitive people. I wonder how many times God's called me, God's called you, and we didn't hear him. Because we just weren't listening. We just weren't sensitive. We know about Ananias, that God uses people that love him, that are sensitive to him. We know that God uses fearful people. Check out Ananias' response in verse 13. Lord... I've heard many reports about this man. As, as if God hadn't heard those reports, right? <laughs> I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints. You know, Ananias was wanting God to go, oh, that's right. You don't have to go. <laughs> I forgot. He's, he's, he's tough, right? Amazing. He's fearful. He's come here with authority to arrest all who call on your name. God uses fearful people. Most of all, God uses obedient people. Check out verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house. You know, in spite of of being fearful, he was more obedient than he was fearful. It's okay to be fearful. It's okay to not have it all together. As long as our obedience is just one step ahead of our fear. It's when fear gets out in front of obedience, we get ourselves in trouble. But you know what? Go as you are. It's okay to be fearful. What exactly did Ananias do? You know, when when God calls us, when when we're walking with Him, when, when we're sensitive and God puts somebody on our heart, what are we supposed to do? What exactly did Ananias do? I I, I see four things that he did. One, he spent time with them. He spent time with them. Ananias went to the house and entered it. Sometimes God puts someone upon your heart or my heart, and we get so paralyzed, we're not sure what to do. 
oh, it's kind of awkward, you know, I don't know what they'll think, and I don't know what to say, and should I go there, should I not? And, and, and that awkwardness paralyzes us. I remember when a buddy of mine from college got in trouble. I knew he was in trouble, and I knew I should go. I was in San Jose at the time, and he was in Auburn. And man, I debated and debated, and a few days went by, and then I thought, well, you know what, I should have, should have been there a few days ago, and then a week went by, and then I didn't know what to do, and, and then a month had gone by. It's always better to do something than nothing. In Ananias' situation, he went. I remember later on talking to my buddy and saying, you know what, I'm so sorry, I should have been there. Even if I just showed up and sat in your house, I should have been there. Ananias was someone that God used in action. Has God prompted you to go to that person, to write that note, to make that phone call? Then do it. Don't be paralyzed by fear. Number one, he went. Number two, he touched him. Placing his hands on Saul. Touch is so good. Appropriate touch is so good. A handshake, a hug, reaching out and grabbing a shoulder. Sometimes we are such a, a, a untouching culture. Man, I live in a culture now where man, people want, they don't, they want to kiss you. It's a little awkward sometimes. You know, we've been there four years, so we're getting a lot better at it. But man, I, I got somebody coming at me that I've never met before and they want to kiss me. And I'm kind of going, hey, how are you? You know? You're in my space. And oh, I'm an American here. And oh, there's no space. Latin America. You know, brazos and besos. And man, we're all over you. I don't know you. Don't kiss me. Touch is good. It's good. It communicates so much. Practice touching. That's what Ananias did. He went. He touched. He loved him. Look what he calls him. Brother Saul. He never met Saul before. He is fearful of him. But he loved him. Brother Saul. He loved him. And the fourth thing was he just spent time talking to him. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you has sent me. They sat and they talked. You know what? God uses people. You and I have got to have Ananias in our life. We've got to have those people who love us enough to come our way. The Christian walk was never meant to be a walk on our own. Now we're meant to be together in community. A community is not always easy. Sometimes awkward. Sometimes uncomfortable. And so we hold each other out at arm's distance and we isolate ourselves and we buy into the lie that I can do it by myself. We've got to have Ananias in our life. And we've got to be Ananias to other people. And maybe it should work natural, but most of the time it doesn't. You probably have to go seek those people out. See, I'm pretty good at being an Ananias for somebody. I'm pretty comfortable with that role. I'm just not very comfortable when someone wants to be an Ananias in my life. Say, no. Weight room in Quito, 
just before we left and hanging out with a buddy of mine named Ken. And we're talking about this kind of stuff and let people in. And in between sets, Ken stops and he locks my eyes and he says, you know what? You're not very good at that. Pierced my heart. I said, you know what? You're right. I'm not. Oh, I'd love to listen to your stuff. And I'll pray for you and I'll visit you and I'll touch you. I'm just not sure about giving you my stuff. We've got to practice that. We've got to get better at that. We've got to seek those people out and say, you know what? And I said to Ken in the weight room that day, I need you. So keep asking. Keep poking. Keep prodding. Keep asking me. Together, let's get better at it. You see, what allowed Saul's encounter that changed his life and changed a lot of other people's lives. This guy we're talking about wrote a big chunk of this book. But maybe it doesn't happen if Ananias doesn't get into his life. Obedient, fearful, Ananias. He spent time with him. He touched him. He loved him. He spoke to him. Who are the Ananiases in your life? Do you have them? Are they there? you have those people you could call, visit, go to their house? Who are you an Ananias for? Able to get up and drop what you're doing. Sensitive to God. This is a great church. I'm convinced of that. I know that you're growing. I know people are coming. But if there's a prayer I have, it's that this church would allow people to ask honest questions. You would be an honest people. Even if those questions are scary sometimes. Even if they don't come out clean and they don't sound the greatest. I pray that this would be a church that you could ask honest questions. We don't have to always answer those questions. God will answer them. Sometimes we just say, say, you know what, that's a good question. I've thought that one too. I am Jesus. I am big enough for any question. My prayer would be that this would be a church that asks it. And people that ask honest questions. My prayer would this would be a church that embraces the darkness and learns from the darkness. Because it's going to happen. We're all going to walk through, stumble through, be encountered by those moments that we, we just don't get it, but it's dark. Okay. Maybe that means I'll just sit with you in the darkness for a while. And we'll ask God and we'll believe that God's going to teach us through the darkness. And I pray this would be a church that continues to love God, loves people, and they take risks. Risks like Ananias took that changed Saul's life. It's not always clean. It's not always easy. But risk is necessary. And in the midst of all that, I pray that this would be a church that continues to encounter God On a regular basis. Not encountered God way back when. 
but who day by day were in the process of encountering God and sharing what we encounter. Let's pray together. Lord, thanks that you are, again, a God who desires for us to encounter you. Lord, thanks for interrupting Saul's life. No, not, not just because he, he, he was a, a good communicator and wrote stuff that we can read today from you. Not, not, not for any of those reasons. Thanks for, for loving him and grabbing his heart and his soul. Lord, thanks for doing the same for us. Thank you for interrupting our lives and saving our souls, redeeming our lives. And Lord, I just pray for today and this week that we would walk in such a way that we ask honest questions and we allow others around us to ask those questions. Lord, thanks for your word. Thanks for your spirit. Thanks for the great times and thanks for the dark times. And then, Lord, prompt our hearts our lives, maybe even right now where we're sitting, that we need to take a risk in someone else's life. To go, to visit, to touch, to listen, to speak, to be like Ananias. Or more than anything, that's our desire to encounter you. We don't want to just go through our day and our week and do our thing. We want to walk with you. So hear our prayers. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great afternoon.